Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the radio, across the UK, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, on talk radio, on talk radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Talk Radio. Radio. It is Friday the 13th, ladies and gentlemen, and there's already some strange things happening. I came into the office this morning and the sun was blazing through the windows. It was absolutely amazing. It was so bright we had to close the blinds in order to be able to see what we were doing. Now, darkness has descended and it's very gloomy and it's very awful and it's very horrible. It sort of reminds me of what's going on in Downing Street. You walk in one morning and everything's happy and rosy and everything in the garden is dismal and then suddenly they're all knifing each other in the back well, I know that they do that quite a lot, but they seem to be doing an awful lot more of it. Lately, uh, there's some very, very odd things going on down there. It looks like the pooch inside the walls of Downing Street goes on unabated, with the Prime Minister now doing what he's told on an hourly basis by the kinder, gentler brigade, uh, who have so far managed to shoehorn Dominic Cummings and his press chief, Lee Kane, out the door. As I predicted yesterday, it would seem Boris Johnson's fiance Carrie Simmons, is firmly in charge of the clattering train. After all, who else could get rid of the evil genius and his communications henchman in one 48-hour period? But if you're expecting everything to be now sweetness and light, I've got some swampland in Florida to sell you. And just six minutes ago, the Prime Minister of this country, in the midst of a coronavirus, when uh, the whole country is actually locked down, has tweeted out about some marine area, some part of the world 17 uh, times bigger than Britain, which apparently we've saved for the fish. Well done, Boris. Top man, uh, Carrie Simmons, is very clearly in charge. 0344 499 1000. Uh, we'll take the temperature of the Westminster bubble with the independence political commentator, John Rental. We'll also hear all about the horror of the Yorkshire Ripper who died from coronavirus this morning. Former Fleet Street editor Neil Wallace is going to join us. He covered the serial killer's trial in 1981. Sutcliffe, one of the worst serial killers in the history of this country, uh, murdered 13 women that we know of. But it could have been many, many more. Coming up later on, we'll be joined by Olivia Ratley from The Sun with her take on the big stories of the week, including uh, that awful John Lewis advert. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan also here with news of three big shows coming up this weekend. And as ever, we need to hear from you as well. We'll continue to put pressure on this government to do something for families who are suffering in this country because they are unable to see their elderly relatives. Tell us your stories and tell us how you are faring in this second week of COVID restrictions. 0344 499 1000. We'll bring you up to date with the new travel rules as well, which for once are actually being eased in some parts of the world. Lisa Francesca Nand will tell us about that. Because it's Friday, it's the return of the Perrier Awards and Malta Malagon after a brief lull thanks to the American election last week. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, 
Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, if you were Boris Johnson and all around you was being sort of ripped apart, and as you've uh, uh, not planned really to do, lots of people who, who came into Downing Street for the Vote Leave campaign uh, now seem to be going back out the door, thanks to a rather sort of uh, interesting pooch uh, by your fiance Carrie Simmons. What would you do? Would you try to get out there in front of it all and tell everyone that actually you're in charge and that basically uh, the government is doing terribly well, it's doing a great job of handling coronavirus, it's doing fantastically well getting the R rate down, getting the number of infections down, getting the number of hospital admissions down, getting the death rate down. No, Boris Johnson has just tweeted this. I'm delighted that the United Kingdom has now protected more than 4.3 million square kilometres of the world's ocean. With the announcement of Tristan de Hunya's new marine protection zone, we have helped to protect an area of ocean 17 times the size of the UK. Well, brilliant. That certainly made my morning. Let's talk to John Rental, a political commentator at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Well, I mean, that was not the uh, tweet I expected from the Prime Minister this morning, but I suppose we should be thankful that he's doing something uh, to clean up the oceans. I mean, what about uh, coronavirus? It's the new kinder, gentler, greener Boris Johnson. Um, Reset that uh, we've all been uh, looking forward to. I do think he he does have a chance now, actually, to uh, to reinvent himself slightly. I mean, one of the one of the problems he had with uh, Dominic Cummings was that Dominic Cummings did go to war with just about everybody: yeah. journalists, civil servants, Remainers, um, the establishment, yeah. uh, making uh, making the government's job much harder. And I think uh, I think we might be entering a slightly calmer period. And uh, of course, I do think you've got to. You've got to accept the effect of the vaccine breakthrough. Uh, I think that has changed everything. I think that's made uh, made it possible to imagine a post-coronavirus future. And I think uh, Boris Johnson's looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question there's been some decent news knocking about for him this week with the, uh, the, the, the announcement of the vaccine. And also yesterday, I thought, quite importantly, with the lifting uh, of, uh, of quarantine from coming from quite a lot of very important countries with some quite important links with the UK. You know, it almost felt as though, to me anyway, um, that there was suddenly something you could look at and go, well, that could be the beginning of the end of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, all those people who... Uh, who think that Boris Johnson is useless um, and that he'd be gone by Christmas uh, have, have underestimated his his staying power. I mean, uh, that uh, you remember that, that Barack Obama aide who called him a shape-shifting creep on... Uh, on, on <laughs> well, no, surely not those nice, kind Democrats. Surely not. <laughs> yeah, but... The point, is, the point is he may be a creep, but he's also a shapeshifter. He's also our uh, creep. And we won't take any lessons from the Americans about what sort well, of nasty politicians they've got. Well, and also, you know, everybody was saying what a disaster it was that uh, he didn't get on with, uh, with Barack Obama and that Joe Biden would be horrible to him. And yet, you know, he was, he was the first European leader to take yeah. the call. Well, I did, I did find it very, I said this the other day, I did find it very amusing that uh, before the call happened, everyone was saying, well, of course, Boris won't even be in the top 10 of people he calls first. And that's a terrible slight. And then when he was the first one, everyone said, oh, it doesn't matter what order the calls come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't write him off. Uh, Boris Johnson is a, is a shape-shifting creep, but he's, he's very good at adapting, changing his position uh, he'll be able to do a reshuffle of his uh, of his ministers. Now he won't have to 
uh, just just promote vote levers. He can he can actually promote on merit. So he's got a chance to 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 get the government into, into better shape. I mean, obviously, number ten will still be a nest of vipers. Still be chaos in there. Uh, but I think I think Dominic Cummings's departure will allow uh, Boris Johnson to move on to another phase. Yeah. Cummings, of course, says that he was always going to leave in January. And if you go back to his uh, written piece, uh, you would have remembered that. But, of course, nobody remembers that he said that. And he might as well have said he was leaving next week because nobody ever believes anything that anyone says they're going to do in politics because more than likely they never do it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, he will always present that as as something that that was bound to happen. And we knew it was bound to happen. I mean, we didn't think that Dominic Cummings was likely to stick around. In fact, it's surprising that he stuck around uh, so far. I mean, the big mistake, I think, was not to go at the time of the uh, of the Durham flit. But uh, well, if he'd I gone suppose there... you'd rather not go under a cloud, which that would have been. I'm more surprised in a way that he didn't go at the end of January when you know we had done what they said they were going to do, which was effectively leave the European Union. Yes, I mean, that would have been a good time. But no, I think it would have been a better time for Boris Johnson if he'd gone uh, it, it, when it, when the Durham flip came to came to light. I yeah. think that was the time. For, I mean, because then Boris Johnson would have looked good. I mean, it wouldn't have done Dominic Cummings any. Mm. Uh, but doesn't good, that but, then suggest, John, that Boris is not actually changing anything inside of Downing Street, but Carrie Simmons is changing it for him? Because if he really wanted uh, to look good by getting rid of Dominic Cummings, why wouldn't he have done it then? Why would he do it now? I think the only reason he's doing it now is because his hand is being forced. Well, I, I'm not sure how much of an influence... Uh, Carrie was on that. I mean, there were reports yesterday of a of a row between Boris Johnson and and Dominic Cummings, which uh, seems to have been the final final straw. But yeah. I mean, I think that yeah, but I mean, that whole... would have been because Carrie's been whispering in his ear to get rid of him. Yes, but other people have been too. I think so. I think that's a general. Yeah, but he doesn't uh... have to. He doesn't have to spend um, as much time with them as he does with her. <laughs> I was trying to think of a way of putting that without sounding crass. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not. It's not great, and uh, it doesn't make Boris Johnson look like a strong and decisive uh, national leader. That no. is that true. But again, you mustn't underestimate him. I mean, he he's a, he's a survivor, and uh, he may well survive for a, for a long time yet. I mean, you know, obviously the next election's miles away. Uh, and who knows what will happen. But I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against him. No, I wouldn't either. I don't think he's, he's a bit like Donald Trump. You know, you never know what's going to happen next. But here's the other thing, though. Uh, it looks as though whoever came up with the idea of hiring Allegra Stratton uh, has basically sort of brought in the old Trojan horse, uh, which is now det- detonating all over the place. Well, that's right. I mean, apparently it was Lee Kane's <laughs> idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Lee Kane, the director of communications, who is you know, Dominic Cummings' junior partner. Yeah. Thought that it would be a good idea to have have White House style televised briefings, um, but didn't uh, didn't appear to have uh, super forecasted what would happen to his own role as as head of communications in yeah. that in that scenario. Because Allegra Stratton is obviously going to be a very very important person in the new setup. But isn't it a great sort of lesson in politics? I mean, you and I, probably you much more than I, really have been steeped in this stuff for many years, um, and you can never expand too much. You can never kind of be too 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 sure of yourself. You can never be too important to make the most horrendous gaffe, which then leaves you completely exposed and out of a job. <laughs> yes, well, that is uh, that is absolutely right. And the other the other political law is never create an important uh, position without knowing who you're going to fill it with. Right. Uh, 
that was the mistake Tony Blair made when he when he created the directly elected mayor of London because uh, didn't occur to him that uh, one of his great enemies, Ken Livingstone, mm. was in a whole position to to take that job. And you know, Lee Kane seems to have created this hugely powerful position of uh, prime minister's uh, spokesperson uh, without considering. Um, who was going to take that job and what effect it would have on him? And also looking at all of the players in this whole kind of um, um, soap opera, as it's been as it's being termed, and it is a bit of a soap opera. It's incredible how connected everybody is, and I know people have done you know these sort of flow charts. Channel Four the other week did this whole thing about how many vote leave people are actually working in government and how many are in sort of top-level jobs in Whitehall, how so many of them are married to people that seem to work at The Spectator, which seems to be like the TARDIS. Everybody seems to work at The Spectator, you know. And it seems remarkable that they all know each other and there's all these internecine kind of, you know, daggers being thrown from one group to another group and some people have dinner together and other people don't. I mean, can you imagine walking? I mean, I've been in some Fleet Street jobs, which were a bit like this, where you walk into the office in the morning and there's nobody there that's on your side, so nobody talks to you. <laughs> Let's not go into your employment. I'm history, sure then. the independent's much more inclusive than that. But, you know, I've worked at some places which have been pretty, pretty brutal, to be fair. Yeah, no, but politics is like that. And politics, you know, is always at the top. It's always going to be uh, a, a sort of network of personal relationships, of people who know each other and trust each other and then fall out with each other. I yeah. mean, that, is, that is absolutely how, how it works and how it always works. And the people who are really good at politics... Um, such as Boris Johnson and Tony Blair are really good at managing those interpersonal relationships. Now, you wouldn't have thought that Boris Johnson was uh, actually good at that kind of stuff. Uh, he's not certainly he's not as sinuous as Tony Blair. Tony Blair was always very, very good at managing relationships and allowing people to think that he agreed with them. Mm. Uh, Boris Johnson's more chaotic and gives this sort of bumbling uh, buffoon act, but actually seems to get away with it. I mean, do you remember when he sacked, um, you know, his best friend, Sajid Javid? Yeah. As they, they were mates, their children uh, knew each other, um, and they all got on in, a, in one happy family, and yet uh, Boris Johnson just knifed him one day and replaced him with somebody else. But is there a danger here as well, John, though, that the ordinary voters out there in the big wide world, particularly those who, who loaned their votes to the Conservative Party in December, are thinking, this is not what I care about. I don't give a monkeys about whether it's Lee Kane, who I'd never heard of until this week, uh, or some other bloke or some other woman who's called Allegra. You know, I don't really uh, give a stuff. All I want is to see Brexit getting done. All I want is for the coronavirus to be sorted out. And otherwise, I'm never voting Tory again. And I'm getting a lot of that. Uh, on you know social media, people calling the show as well. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think there will be Tory MPs who who will be glad to see the back of Dominic Cummings because he was a lockdowner. He was somebody who wanted to shut down the the economy in order to control the coronavirus. But if he's just replaced with uh, Carrie Carrie Simons, who wants to shut down the economy in order to achieve net zero carbon, uh, then that's not going to be much of a gain for 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 some elements of the Tory party. No. Uh, it's not a message that you can you can imagine going down particularly well in the in the red wall either. I mean, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of uh, green Tories who say, oh, well, you know, even in the red wall, people want their children to have the jobs of tomorrow building. That's uh, rubbish. Off, that is absolutely rubbish. Wind turbines. But it's not it's not necessarily a political message. It's going to be easy to sell. No. I mean, I, I would I would I would tell your friends, the Green Tories, that this is why the Tory party is no longer considered to be conservative, because it's full of these maniacs who want everyone driving around in electric cars and cycling everywhere. I mean, that is not what the bulk of this country wants, I can assure you. 
No, I think that is an interesting question as to whether Boris Johnson could pull that off. Because, I mean, he always has been something of a, of a green Tory. Uh, and if there's going to be more of, of an emphasis on that, more of a sort of push uh, towards net zero carbon, then that is going, that's going to hit a political uh, resistance point, uh, uh, you know, at some, it is probably before the next election. Well, if they don't unlock uh, the economy, it's going to be net zero everything. Never mind net zero carbon. <laughs> it's going to be net zero money, <laughs> net zero jobs, net zero mortgages, net zero savings, net zero, you know, the world. Yes. And that, you know, it, that is going to be a very difficult message for Allegra Stratton uh, or anybody who has to speak for the government. To sell, and I, th- I do think that they're creating a rod for their own backs with this uh, televised uh, daily briefing. Yeah, uh, but the Labour Stratton will suddenly become the most uh, important person in the government, apart from the Prime Minister, uh, and will attract an awful lot of, uh, of attention. People will want, will want to know what she thinks about absolutely everything. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it, it and- gives it gives all sorts of opportunities to all sorts of people to take a go to take a pop at him on anything that's going on. You know, like, for example, every time anything happens, like when there's an Extinction Rebellion um, a demonstration, when there's, you know, somebody gets arrested for something, when, you know, there's a terrorist act, act that goes on. You know, almost any, any, I mean, there's a daily news briefing. There's daily news. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for a prime minister who's actually proved quite good at, uh, you know, staying away from TV cameras, um, you know, unlike Tony Blair and David Cameron, who, who would always be in front of a camera, as soon as anything happened, you know, Boris Johnson's approach has been rather difficult, mm. different. He, he sort of he, he prefers to sort of stay out until he's ready to say something. Right. Uh, he's going to have a, a televised spokesperson out there every day. Um, then but you can that, imagine, that, I mean, if you and I were there, you can imagine the situation ah. where you say to Allegra Stratton, what does the prime minister think about that? And she says, oh, we haven't spoken about it. Oh, what? So you don't think he's, he thinks anything about it then? So why haven't you spoken to him about it? You know, it just goes on and well, on. Well, that's that's my point. I mean, she's going to have to speak to him. She's going. I mean, part of the the, the reason why her appointment caused such such disruption in Number Ten was that she insisted on being answerable directly to the Prime Minister herself. Right. Uh, which is quite right because you can't you can't go on television and speak for the Prime Minister without knowing an awful lot about what the Prime Minister thinks and, and without yeah. having spoken to him recently and without having you know without speaking to him all the time. Mm. Um, and that will change the power dynamic um, in uh, in number 10 and uh, in ways which we cannot yet foresee. Yeah. I mean, you can just ask him every day, you know, does the prime minister still have confidence in the chancellor? See what he says every every day for the 365 days of the year. He's bound to slip up at some point. So is she. John, a pleasure <laughs> to speak to you as ever. Uh, thank you very much indeed. John Rensel, chief political commentator at The Independent. Uh, the ins and outs of what goes on, the toings and froings of Downing Street may not interest you at all. But I think it is interesting uh, that Boris Johnson has now somehow turned his back on the people that got him in to Downing Street, um, has turned his back before Brexit is done properly on the people that got him through Brexit and has now somehow cosied up to this kind of green lobby where he's tweeting out about some far-flung part of the Pacific Ocean that he's apparently saved for the fish. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not what the public of this country want. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, to Neil Wallace, former Fleet Street editor, former Fleet Street reporter, uh, Fleet Street executive, a man who's seen an awful lot of things, done an awful lot of things. Neil Wallace uh, joins me now to talk about the Yorkshire Ripper. Neil, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. 
Now, I think you, like many people, will probably have uh, woken up to the news that the Yorkshire Ripper uh, has succumbed to coronavirus this morning and felt not one pang uh, of sorrow for him. No, absolutely not. No, there's no sorrow uh, for the demise of this uh, creature, really. He Mm. was a monster. And there is simply no other way to look at him. Um, There will be families across uh, north of England who will find it very difficult not to actually be celebrating. He left, I think his final tally was officially about 13. There is nobody that I know who knows anything about this case, including me, who knows a lot about it, who doesn't believe that that figure is much more likely to be in the 20s. Yeah, I mean, you cover the... 20 innocent women yes and you covered the trial neil um in the days when there were those those were massive events weren't they because it's hard to imagine i think for people now and a lot of people listening to this won't have remembered that time um but it's hard to explain how big an event a trial like that was back in 1981 it was a a completely staggering event actually mike i was actually based at the time in the north i was covering the story um of uh, his crimes and then uh, after his arrest uh, we continued digging into uh, this story for months and months afterwards and then I went to the Old Bailey and it, as, as you say I, I've never been to anything like that before I've never seen anything like that before um, it was in a way an immense piece of theatre it, it was absolutely hushed it was intense it was uh, every second of it was gripping and fascinating and and you know, you were hearing these astonishing stories particularly from you know forensic experts and you know from detectives who were piecing together how he actually tracked down and got hold you know was able to destroy the lives of these poor poor women and there is this little nondescript bloke, as I, as I said in my tweet earlier this morning. He was completely nondescript little bloke, sat in the dock, looking around, interested but not greatly. And uh, it, it was just, I mean, it is classic with serial killers, of course, but it was so hard to imagine that this creature sat there. Uh, you wouldn't look twice at him in, on a bus uh, and he had done all this carnage. Yeah. And I mean, a, a, a fascinating story in terms of the way the police finally caught him as well, because, again, um, a bit like a lot of these cases, it, it was a sort of a stroke of luck more than it was anything else, wasn't it? Because he'd been arrested or at least uh, uh, taken in several times by the police and never actually charged with anything. I don't think maybe I don't think he actually ever was arrested, but he was questioned about four months apart for about a year, wasn't he? Oh, yes, he he. Uh, As you rightly say, Mike, it was a classic example of how uh, there was this massive nationwide police hunt. Um, They invented new computer systems. They did this. They did that. But it came down to a police sergeant's hunch in a city, Sheffield, where he'd never he'd never hunted before, because that's what um, that's what. Sutcliffe did. He yeah. hunted uh, victims. He would go on the prowl trying to find someone he thought was vulnerable that he could then attack. And he was arrested um, by ordinary beat bobbies who were 
um, patrolling and checking out a well-known site for prostitutes. And they simply thought he was another customer of a prostitute. Uh, but a sergeant just had a sixth sense that there was something else about him. And they took him into questioning and he was apparently fine. He was just a, a punter, as it were. And But the police sergeant, I believe, went back to the site and he discovered hidden uh, there a hammer. And it was a ball peen hammer, uh, which is a specific kind of hammer. And that's, he, you know, his police instincts kicked in. And the thing is, Mike, when they confronted him, pretty much on a, on a bluff and said, it's you, isn't it? He said, oh, yes, it is. Mm. He absolutely never denied it. He rolled over it. And um, he he was, some would argue, some argued at the time he was quite relieved to be caught, actually. Mm. Yeah, I mean, serial killers have always fascinated people as well. Newspapers have always been fascinated by them. Um, the, the big stories in America that we're seeing now being turned into kind of, you know, uh, Netflix documentary series and all of that. I mean, this yeah. is a, this is a guy who then also, when he went into prison, he and he was um, it was he, he was in the sort of uh, the mental wards for a long time, wasn't he? And and he was considered to be someone who never really showed any remorse for what he did, and 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 seemingly was quite proud of it. Well, I think that's right. I remember uh, my newspaper at the time on on the day the jury was going to come back, the headline was "Mad or Bad." Mm. Sutcliffe actually was both. Um, but the judge uh, sent him to Broadmoor, um, where he was for many years, um, despite great protests from many people, uh, because they did not accept that uh, once he was medicated, because he was basically a paranoid schizophrenic, he could not be back in the prison community. And it took 20 years or so before he was put where he should have been, mm. which was in a proper prison. Yes. And the, one of the reasons why he died was that he had become a Jehovah's Witness and he refused to take any kind of treatment for coronavirus, right? Good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Good. I mean, certainly no, I mean, no point in wasting well, the resources of the NHS, really. Yes, absolutely. Why anybody would have to look after him, I don't know. I mean, he, he actually, once he um, ended up in the prison system and ended up in uh, the care of the state as it were uh, he became a celebrity mm. um, and he lived like a celebrity and effectively insisted on being treated pretty much as a celebrity behind bars hundreds of women would write to him uh, dozens of women offered to marry him many women would want to go and visit him and did and amongst them incidentally was the woman who uh, was his wife at the time he was carrying out the murders. Yes. It's really extraordinary the way people react to it, isn't it? Because it is, as I say, I mean, I, I often wonder, and I thought about this this morning, whether it would be the same now if it happened now. I mean, in a way, I'm not sure that it, that it would be the same. But I think, as I was saying, to try and explain what a big story this was, what a big deal it was, that it was kind of all-consuming. It was everywhere. It was all over the television, all over the newspapers. The families were speaking. You know, I mean, I, at the time, I had a friend who was at university um, not far from Sheffield. Um, and I remember she used to tell me that they literally, they were living in terror until he was caught because you just never knew if you heard footsteps behind you when you were walking home, whether it was him. Quite... Quite right, mate. I, I 
covered those areas. I went into Leeds. I went into Bradford, the towns around there when this was going on after murders had happened. And it was quite literally the terror was palpable. If you were a female, you were terrified. Mm. And uh, particularly in the university areas, um, and they would go around in, in groups. They wouldn't go out at night. I mean, these poor poor students and poor women of these areas had to impose a sort of self-imposed uh, curfew on themselves because they were too scared to be out. Mm. And that's why um, he... Because his initial victims... I mean, he is known to have killed prostitutes. His initial victims weren't prostitutes. If they became prostitutes might because... Um, or he targeted prostitutes, rather, because they were available. They were the only people out and about, yeah. was women. Mm. So, you know, uh, his earliest victims, some of whom they've never actually been technically able to link in, were simply ordinary women walking about their daily business totally legitimately. And it was only because of the terror that he engendered that eventually the only women he could hunt were the women who were forced onto the streets, which were either drug addicts or prostitutes or mm. both. And did anybody ever get to the bottom of why uh, he did it and why he hated women to such an extent? Um, well, there were two elements to it, I think. Uh, he had a very, very uh, turbulent upbringing involving a mother that he enjoyed, who he adored, who was completely subjugated by a very domineering, bullying uh, husband, a suckless father, who then dominated and terrorised his children. And it was thought at the time the seeds of it came out of that, really. Yeah. The, he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Absolutely shocking story. Um, and for the families, of course, it, it will all be coming back to them today. Um, so... I guess for, for some people, they'll never get over what happened. Never. Absolutely never. There are scores of uh, children of his victims. And as I say, don't forget, Mike, there were far more than those he pleaded guilty to. Mm. There were far more victims than there were on the, on the charge sheets, well into their 20s. Their children, their grandchildren... Uh, who they have never seen, who they've been cheated of, uh, their grandparents, um, all will be feeling a mixture of uh, uh, grief, pounding grief, uh, about what their loss has been for all of these years. Relief as well that he is finally dead, because what happens is his presence keeps the story alive Mm. and keeps the pain alive. Yeah. But there will be many, many who will be hurting rather than delighted this morning. Yes, I think that's right. Neil, thanks very much indeed uh, for those memories. Thanks for joining us. Neil Wallace, former newspaper editor, covered the Yorkshire Ripper trial, which was, I can't tell you how big that was at the time. I mean, for those people uh, who don't remember the Yorkshire Ripper, and there are many of you listening, I'm sure now, who were not around or you were children probably when it was going on. I mean, in 1981, this was one of the biggest stories, not only of the decade, but of the entire century, because, you know, serial killers um, are thankfully very few and far between in this country, but he was one of the worst, and a monster uh, is probably too 
kind of a word to use for him. Don't forget, we are live streaming here on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. We're going to take some of your calls coming up. We're talking about Boris Johnson, uh, the moves going on around Downing Street, inside of Downing Street. Uh, it looks as though Dominic Cummings' era has coming to an end. Uh, Lee Kane is going to be leaving next month as well. Uh, it's all going on. Uh, we are, of course, Talk Radio. Across the UK. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let's say a very good morning to Olivia Utley, Deputy Leader Writer at The Sun. Olivia, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Very good to see you. Now, what on earth is going on uh, within the walls of Number 10? Because uh, it's turning into a bit of a soap opera, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. The funny thing is, we don't really know what it's about. It all just seems to be about personality clashes. So Lee Kane doesn't get on with, you know, Carrie Simons doesn't get on with Lee Kane. Allegra Stratton, who's the new uh, PM spokesperson, doesn't like working with Lee Kane either. Um, Cummings will only stay if Lee Kane's there, so he's decided to go. Um, and it's all a bit of a mess, and it all seems to be about people's egos. Um, why Carrie Simons is involved is a bit of a mystery. Uh, she's the Prime Minister's fiance, but what, what say does she have? She's not elected. Um, so that's a bit odd. Um, but yeah, it's a complete mess and it's quite fun to watch. I'm loving it. Well, it is quite fun to watch, but you do wonder whether any of these people realise that actually they are hired uh, and employed at the public's expense. They are hired and employed to do the bidding uh, of the electorate. They are hired and employed to work for the government. And it's not really about whether they don't fancy having some foie gras together absolutely um it's just completely ridiculous the whole thing um as you say it's a soap opera which is which is fun if you're a bit bored of coronavirus news but not great for the country and as you mentioned we're in this really crucial couple of weeks for brexit and everyone's just 
throwing their toys out of the brand because they don't get on with so-and-so. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, almost, it's almost as if they can't handle any good news because universally speaking, even if you're not that keen on the idea of getting a virus, which uh, getting a vaccine rather, which hasn't been properly tested, which some people have expressed, you know, doubt about, you would still say it was pretty good news that a vaccine is coming sooner than we thought. And yet this government has managed to turn that into a negative story about the infighting. Yeah, uh, it seems that, I mean, from the beginning, it's, it feels like Boris Johnson just is... So, I mean, apparently he absolutely hates confrontation. Um, he's a lover, not a fighter, oh, it yeah. seems. Um, How's and... that going for him? <laughs> well, exactly. That's how it's been allowed to sort of get to that. So he tried to keep Lee Kane on and he tried to keep Carrie happy. He tried to keep everyone happy. And it's all sort of blown up in his face. Mm. Um, because at some point he should have just decided which way he wanted to take his number 10 operation. There's sort of Lee Kane, Dominic Cummings route, which they're sort of hard men and they want to get Brexit done. And they've got a very clear vision of what they want to happen. They're not kind of soft around the edges. They don't do the sort of, you know, touchy-feely stuff, um, which is obviously much more up Carrie Simons' street. Um, and she would want number 10 to be going in a completely different direction. And they're just two very different ways of running a government operation. And it's, and- quite, it's quite worrying, isn't it, that his top three tweets are currently on his Twitter account. The, the first and the third uh, are about climate change. And the middle one is about Scotland getting into the Euros. And you think, well, haven't you got anything more important to tell us than that? Is that it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, it, all, all of those environment tweets seem a little bit like Carrie's got a gun to his head. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I don't think you are. I mean, that is the perception. And perception is often, you know, uh, fact before anything else happens. And certainly it seems as though uh, if you're replacing um, Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane, two people from Vote Leave, with Allegra Stratton, um, who's almost almost certainly a Remainer, and Carrie Simmons, who may indeed be a Remainer herself, I don't know. Um, you know, it doesn't look that great for the populace and for those people who voted for Brexit to get Brexit done, particularly in the North. Yeah, um, that is very true. I mean, at this stage, I'm not sure how much truth there is in, in uh, the idea that sort of Carrie and Allegra are working together to try and stop Brexit. Um, I think it's more that just there's such a mess. We don't really want this mess at the heart of Downing Street no. while we're trying get this thing over the line. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting them to try and stop Brexit, but what it could result in is a softer form of it, um, which is what a lot of other people are worried about. Perhaps. Um, I think it's more, I mean, I think it's more likely that that if there's just this chaos and the Prime Minister can't concentrate on what he's supposed to be doing, um, it's quite likely we just have a very messy Brexit. I'm not yeah. sure if it's a soft and hard as much as a sort of clean or, or a bit of a mess. Yes. And I just... Boris was foreign secretary um, and he was divorcing Marina and his personal life was in complete disarray and he just became completely useless. And it feels like the same thing's happening again. Mm. You know, everything's kind of slipping around him. He can't keep control of his personal life. And so his hold on the country is slackening um, and we're just in quite a sort of chaos at a time when we all really need to be, you know, eyes on the prize. No, quite. Uh, I'm not sure he's been concentrating on anything for quite a long time, actually. I mean, that's the sense that I get. Yeah, I mean, it always come back to I always come back to the idea that he just is so wiped out after having COVID himself and mm. after just a year. I mean, apparently Marina, his former wife, was his sort of intellectual backbone. They talked about everything together. Um, they were he, she propped him up for thirty years mm. or however long he was married for. Um, and I don't think Carrie quite fulfills that role for him. Um, so he's lost Marina. He's lost, you know, his. It has is in a quite a bad relationship with his um, children by the sounds of it, or at least he was a few mm. months ago. Got this new baby. He's got this very difficult woman by the sounds of it in in Carrie, who just tries to make his life quite complicated mm. by the sounds of 
um, and he, he just sort of can't concentrate anymore and he doesn't really have the um, backbone himself to be able to be able to do what he's got to do now um, but yeah I'd agree I just don't think he's really concentrating yeah. um, I mean are, yeah. are you one of those who thinks that this is the sort of beginning of a change of direction though in some ways and that it might lead to a change of personnel in the cabinet as well because if you're going to say you don't really want the old-fashioned sort of hard man shouty shouty approach then you might look at people like Matt Hancock and say maybe it's time to get somebody else in uh, to be um, the Secretary of State for Health. Uh, what do we call Matt Hancock? Shouty, shouty. I think he's a bit too soft around the edges. Well, I know. Um, I think he, he comes across as very cold to me. He comes, comes across as a guy who's kind of not exactly um, uh, got anything uh, with the country's best interests at heart rather than just fixing everything. Interesting. Yeah, I see what you mean. And I think it is quite possible that there's a that there's a big reshuffle. I think, honestly, I feel like this is Boris's kind of last ditch attempt to kind of save his premiership, which mm. I know sounds kind of ridiculous given that he was elected with a stonking majority less than a year ago um but it really has been such chaos ever since that it does sort of feel like trust among his backbenchers has slipped away so fast that he's now just desperate to kind of save his premiership by kind of changing getting a complete makeover for the new year Mm. changing about the way he's he's running his operation and just sort of hoping that he can he can fix it all before before rishi yeah absolutely Absolutely. Now, talking of Brexit, um, interesting tweet from Michelle Barnier today. Um, one of those kind of uh, a bit like the cherries one. Was it the cherries on the cake? Or was it kind of a little oh, bit uh, yeah, mysterious? Short a picture of him what? walking through what looks like, I don't know, could be Regent's Park, I think. Short break from intense negotiations in London, went looking for level playing fields. Oh, I mean, honestly, who looks <laughs> funny? It's so cringe. It's- Oh, I think we just lost your uh, lost your audio there for a second. We'll come back to Olivia uh, in a moment. We've just lost uh, a little bit. Yeah, so here's this ridiculous tweet, right, which has been put out by Michelle Barnier, uh, put out somewhere around about um, uh, um, 10 o'clock this morning. Went looking for level playing fields. He seems to be walking through a football pitch in what looks like Regent's Park. I'm pretty sure I can see the post office uh, tower, what used to be called the post office tower, uh, the BT tower now. Olivia's back, I think. I'm back. Hello. Yes, good. Sorry. Yeah, so so what's it all about? Yeah, it's just Michel Barnier trying to be funny and trying to appeal to his sort of Remainer friends. His, his theory is that Britain's trying to get away with too much in the trade in the trade talks and isn't playing on a level playing field. I mean, it's all complete rubbish. But, you know, the idea that people are going to find this clever or funny or, or witty or impressive, I mean, surely just everyone who voted Brexit looks and thinks... Thank God we're leaving the EU. This is so cringe and awful. And why are we anything to do with these people? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So, right. yeah. And also, Michelle Barnier, as everybody knows, has been pretty unhelpful over the course of time with all the Brexit negotiations that have ever taken place, all going all the way back to when Theresa May was trying to get something out of them, uh, all the way through the current ones and all the way through the last lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, but actually, I mean, recently, Michelle Barnier has been relatively helpful. I mean, it seems to be that there are a few sticky member states who just aren't playing fair at all and are vetoing any form of sensible Brexit. So you've got France complaining about about fishing, obviously, and then you've got Spain trying to claim back Gibraltar, which is obviously completely insane. Um, and Michel Barnier seems to be kind of trying to smooth the path because he does want a Brexit deal. He knows that Britain's being pretty reasonable and it allies who aren't. Um, but now he just tries this stupid game of of blaming Britain again and oh it just 
Yeah, um, I know. Well, you wonder well, also who he's aiming it at as well, because there must be plenty of people in the European Union who would be quite happy, notwithstanding the fact that they're going to lose money, uh, but they'd be quite happy to get this all over and done with and just get the deal done, move on, and now try and run the European Union without the UK. Completely. Um, so I think who he's aiming it at is sort of extreme British Remainers like Andrew Adonis, who oh, would yeah. rather... Jolian Moron. Yeah, exactly. Um, all of those weird Brits who would rather we had a terrible trade deal just to sort of prove us wrong. I mean, poor, you'd rather all of your friends and family were poor, you'd rather the country was poor just because you want to prove a point that you were right in the referendum. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the sort of person it appeals to. But as you say, I don't think it appeals to most Europeans. It definitely doesn't appeal to the vast majority of Brits who just think, glad we're not involved with this bloke anymore. Yeah. No, I think there's, I mean, aside from those kind of extremists, as you mentioned, there's far more people now, some of whom actually did vote to stay in the European Union, who have totally accepted that we're leaving and that we need to leave and we need to get on with it as soon as possible. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, people are genuinely worried about whether or not we're going to get a trade deal. This genuinely affects a lot of people's actual lives day to day. And if we don't have a if we don't have a deal, then there'll be people all over Europe, not just in Britain, who'll be a lot poorer. So sort of trying to make a rubbish little joke out of it really feels like totally tone deaf. It probably goes down pretty well on Twitter, which just has most, yeah. most of the well, on Twitter. Well, I should point out this morning had a, um, a hashtag that said RIP Peter Sutcliffe, which I think tells you you need to know about Twitter. But let's talk a little yeah. bit about uh, John Lewis, because it is that time of year. I can't believe it's come around so fast. You know, once again... They do a brilliant job of getting everybody talking about them, I have to say that. But I must admit, having looked at the uh, the advert now, which for the first time doesn't use a well-worn song, uh, retreaded or whatever, but they use a new song by Celeste, which has been invented just for them. I, f- I have to say I found it pretty cringy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really understand it. It just seemed to go all over the place. It was, seemed to be sort of vacuous platitude after vacuous platitude. Yes. Um, well that's, well, that's the world, apparently, that we now live in. You know, we have to be kind, unless, of course, you happen to vote Conservative and people uh, think you might be a bit right-wing, in which case you can be as horrible as you like. Yeah, lots of huge corporations telling you to be kind. And yes. I, I heard that their plan was to make Christmas not about consumerism. Right. Well, I don't think John Lewis are the people to, to make... <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a good irony, isn't it? That here we are talking about how to be kind to people without actually spending bucket loads of money. Well, they'd be out of business for a start. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're trying to trying to capture the zeitgeist of the country, I suppose, to get people talking about them. But it all seems feels a little bit cynical and shallow. Also, I just don't think it's very good. I mean, sometimes against my best judgment, I find myself welling up at some very emotional John Lewis adverts. But this one, honestly, I, I think that says more about the state you're in oh. than it is about anything else, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the people who, who think these ads are all lovely and nice and shiny and it makes you just feel all warm and cosy. I mean, I really think they might need to get into some proper actual relationships rather than one with a television advert. <laughs> yeah, that seems quite harsh of me. There we are. Well, listen, Olivia, thank you very much indeed. Olivia Utley, Deputy Leader Writer at The Sun, uh, with her thoughts on the big stories of the week. Of course, uh, it's been another tumultuous week here at Talk Radio. Uh, we've had some more amazing interviews, some more amazing coverage, some more amazing telephone calls. One of the things that we have done this week, and which we will continue to do, uh, is to hear from many of you who have had awful terrible experiences trying to visit your uh, relatives elderly relatives who might be in care homes who might be in sheltered accommodation
accommodation. It all kind of began a few days ago uh, with a heartfelt call from somebody called David Aberdeen, who said he could not take any more, that he was at the end of his tether, that he didn't want it uh, to go on any longer. And we're still trying uh, to get some help to sort that situation out. Uh, We also are going to be talking to some campaigning groups over the course of the next week as well. Um, We're going to keep putting pressure on the government, as indeed is the Daily Mail, uh, who this morning once more have a front page story uh, which says basically uh, that they are going to be trying to find out what it is, that the clamour that cannot be ignored. MPs, charities, doctors and families back our crusade to let relatives visit lonely loved ones in care homes. It's not going to stop this. This is the most important thing, I think, for an awful, especially coming up to Christmas. If you imagine that you've got a father or a mother or an elderly brother or sister uh, or a grandfather or a grandmother and you're coming up to Christmas and it's all very well looking at the John Lewis ad and welling up. But quite frankly, uh, if you can't see your family members coming up to Christmas, as it, which is only you know just a few weeks away, then surely there's something wrong with our society. You know, it's all very well Boris Johnson going on about fixing the oceans and coming up with, you know, ideas for the climate summit in Glasgow next year. But how about you fix the situation where people are allowed to go and see their relatives? Somehow that has to change, doesn't it? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.45 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Almost full compliance uh, in the uh, bagging area, but not quite, I well, have to say. I told them they would have to hand in their resignation yes. if they didn't comply. Well, there's a lot of it about. Well, exactly, I yeah. I mean, it's the day to do it. Exactly. Everyone else is doing to it. To follow the trend. Friday the 13th yes. is your chance. Now, you've just uh, we've just worked out together. This is the first mm. one we've done for three weeks. Yeah. Extraordinary. Because you went away. I was away. And we had Richard, Richard Maitley. Richard here. And we didn't do Paris with him because well and yet he still bought you champagne and flowers he did yeah yeah he nice did man he's very nice very he's very nice. nice i think maybe if if he ever covers for you again i think perhaps we'll do them then well he's set the bar very high now he's gonna have to do that every time he comes in well i hope so yeah i mean I, I was kind of hoping that when i told you that you would think oh my goodness yeah i'm gonna have no. to get her champagne every friday no. but that hasn't happened no so it hasn't far. well it's only the first really friday since we've been properly back because last week we were slightly interrupted by the american election we were which still yeah. hasn't been decided goodness gracious said. me it's still been like a week on. and a half hasn't it maybe i'll buy some champagne when they decide who the president is that's great that'll that be january be won't new it year. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. well we'll have christmas drinks before that I'm well, sure. hopefully, if all goes hopefully, well. if they let us out. So anyway, welcome down. back. Thank you so much. Welcome back. You mm. too as well. Welcome back, everyone. Everyone. Uh, this is uh, the Perry Rewards. Mm. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called, so-called. Independent Republic of My Graham on Talk Radio yes. and choose our favourite moments. As it's tradition, the first one goes to you, Mike, and it's Thank the you. classic impression of the week. But this week is no Megan, unfortunately. It's Adam Bolton from Sky News. Sky News is now ready to declare the winner of the US presidential election of 2020. That's very funny. It is very funny. Because also, that didn't happen really, because there's no winner being declared. So well, that's true. But they've oh, declared so the winner. It is confusing. It's hard, to, it's hard to figure it out, isn't it? It is very, very confusing. Also, I find it really funny. North Carolina has been tied since like 2 a.m. on election night, and it still hasn't been decided. I mean, they really just need a couple of calculators, don't they? Well, if we manage it here... 
And you know, in Spain, we get the like the, the results. We get them within like two hours of yeah. like post closing. Like if we manage it, like guys, maybe I don't know, get a grip. I know it anyway, would be better. Um, have you got trouble with your screen? Well, somebody's right? telling me to look at the screen. There's nothing on it. Oh, I don't know why. I'm not oh. sure what it all means. Well, I I don't know. You should only take orders from me, by the I way. Know. And I'm here. And also because I'm trying to do it with my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> which it basically is useless. I might yeah. as well not have a hand. Oh, well. I might as well be an amputee. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. You know. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. But there we um, are. Caller Martin Cheshire wins the obvious peril of the week. They're just sceptics. It doesn't mean yeah, they're well, anti-vaxxers. Do you know what? It's a natural human feeling. People are concerned. Sorry, the dog's barking. People That's are right, concerned. You'll make the now. Gonna get... <laughs> <laughs> Prediction of the week. It's absolutely spot on, though, isn't it? If oh, you've got I a dog barking, it. you're always going to get on the periods. I love it. And, and I encourage call us to have the dogs in the background because I love giving out these parrots. Any so. kind of pet, really. Yeah, any kind of pet. Parrot. Yeah, pa- parrots are good, yeah. Yeah, cats. those are good. Cats are good. Um, I don't know. No minks, mm. though. No. Poor things. Um, earlier in the week, you spoke to travel guru Simon Calder mm. and you won the parrot for the question you probably wish you'd never asked. I think that's very unlikely, but yeah. um, it's something to hope about and I'm sorry about this noise. Oh dear, oh dear. What is it? But um, yeah, I haven't even got to the end of the uh, taxi queue yet. Look at that. I can't identify that noise. Can you explain <laughs> what it is? Uh, I think it's something to do with waste disposal. It appears to be coming <laughs> from a skip. It's, right. It's all okay. quite um, all quite tricky, and they're just a little. There'll be all those ballots from what, Pennsylvania what? getting shredded. I left that in for uh, entertainment and balance as well, because balance, I'm not yeah. sure what he meant by waste disposal. I don't know. I hope I hope it wasn't any horrible. Well, I was... I'm assuming it was like shredding paper or something. Yeah, it must have been like a bin lorry, Yeah, I guess. something like that. I don't know. Mm. We'll never know. Um, caller Alex in West Sussex wins a parry for the harsh comment of the week against cyclists. There's one worse than the, uh, than the uh, courier cyclists who are annoying to themselves. It's those who get on a train in their Lycra with a foldy bike. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. They are the prize, frankly. What's up? They've got a bike. Cycle in. That's true. He makes a good point. He does. Why put a bike on a train? Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Mm, I think so. I know someone who uh, commutes from Manchester to London, and uh, they cycle to the to the train station yeah. in Manchester, take the bike to London, and then cycle from King's Cross to the place of work. Dangerous. Houston. Dangerous business. Very dangerous. Mm. Um, anyway, and final final caller of this week, Karen yes. in West Yorkshire, makes it to this week's list for becoming the confused caller of the week. Let's talk to Karen, who's in West Yorkshire. Hi, Karen. Hello, uh, hello. I said hello, Karen. Yeah, well, hello, listen, man. don't worry, it happens. Nervous there, I think. There's a lot of it about that. There's a lot of it about them, from the confused caller of the week to the confused presenter of the week. Is that clear? Thank you very much indeed. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and I approve this message. Let's talk to Robert in Dulwich. Oh, sorry, we've got some news coming up first. Here's uh, Jenny Bob. <laughs> I got a bit carried away with my endorsement, I think you that did. was what it was. You did, you did. Yeah. Well, it's funnier. not easy, you know. I have to remember a lot of things. You do have to remember a lot of things, and it's especially difficult when people tell you to look at your screen and there's nothing on it. And there's nothing on it. It's just to confuse me. <laughs> it's just still to make me nothing look an idiot. on it. It's still, there's still nothing there. <laughs> I'm still looking well, at it, though. 
We'll never know. All mystery. Um, now, Mike, your handovers with Ian Collins have becoming uh, some sort of a must-listen. They have become a bit surreal of late. Yeah, I think so. I mm. think so. And that's precisely what we're about to talk about. Um, obviously, they're not a must-listen because we'll learn what's coming up on Ian's show. Yes. Because that almost never comes about. Mm. Uh, but we get a sneak peek into Ian's life. Yes. Now, we know that he loves going to the gym in the mornings. Um, he talks about that a lot on yeah. his show, I'm being told. But also, um, these, this week, you know, we've moved from this sort of topic from animal chat. You were talking about cows and you were talking about... Yes. Was well, it? mink we, we mink, did, I think, didn't you we? did, yes. Yeah. Um, now, the main topic this week has been slow cookers. Yes. I mean, okay. Yesterday, Ian delivered the innuendo of the week. I think, I, yeah, I think I'd use it once or twice and just it's under the sink but, for the rest I mean, of the you time. But, I mean, your, your uh, meat... <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I think that might be an instant Perrier award for you. <laughs> anyway. Your, your dinner could yeah. be cooking away right now. Could be. Yeah, he he walked right into that one. He did, he did. He's just walked past the studio, by the way. Right, he's, Does, he's done he this to me. Is he listening? <laughs> I guess so. He must have been listening. That's good. But yeah, so you've been talking about slow cookers. Well, apparently he's bought a slow cooker. Makers. Yeah, well, he bought a slow cooker, and I've never yeah. been really that sold on the idea of a slow cooker. I prefer to be in mm. the same house when the cooking is going on. I know. I think I I used to live with someone who had a slow cooker and used it every day. Yeah. And I it, mean, to me, all you're going to make every day is a stew, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. What do you got today? Stew. Stew, yeah. What do you got tomorrow? Stew. Yeah. Could be How a different kind of soup? stew. Maybe some soup. Slow-cooked soup. Mm. I mean, you know, there's not much you can slow-cook, is there? No. Apparently, it's really, like, if you make meat with it, like um, pork, for example, right. like, it, it, it leaves it, like, very tender. Does it? Kind of thing that melts in yeah, your Yeah, like a sort of the belly, a roast belly of pork kind of thing. Yes. But you can also do that regularly and cook it just in an oven. Well, that's what I think. I, I don't mean, know. I don't like the idea of leaving things on when I'm out of the house, either. I know. I'm worried I'm going to come up the stairs and there's going to be a big fire. Yeah. No, 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 that could happen. You never know. Well, it could. You never know. But, yeah, um, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Um, I, I, I like your handovers. Okay. And they're, well, they're he's been seen walking the... the wrong way, so maybe he's not going to be here for the handover. Well, we've got two more pairs okay. to get through. Very good. Uh, I mean, I'm not definitely feeling, no, not at all. Uh, we've got two pairs to get through, so hopefully he'll be here by the end of them. Um, another one for you, Mike. It's the wisdom pill of the week. Well, that is one of the problems with wearing masks, isn't it? There's a trick to it, which I've sort of worked out, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes I just have to take my glasses off. That's it. Just take your glasses off. Just take them off. Take them off. But then it's all right if you if, you, if your eyesight is okay. Yes. But if you have to wear glasses because your eyesight isn't okay, yeah, that's not tricky. so good. I can just about get away with that. Really? Because I wear glasses to like read computer screens yeah, and yeah. read books but and stuff. But you can see generally. Oh, yeah. I can see you now. Right. I mean, I would have to squint a little bit. I was, I you know what I was to told last time I went for an eye test is they say your eyes, my eyes now will not get any worse. No. Because they're now pretty much stuck at where they're going to be for the rest of time. Well, that's fine, though, because that means that you don't have to change your glasses regularly. No. I've been getting texts from um, some high street place where you can get an eye test. Oh, yeah. Um, Nagging me, like, pretty much once a month for the last year. Is it Barnard Castle? Well, no. No. I could drive there, though. You could drive there. I could drive there. I mean, I don't have a driving license to drive in this country, but hey. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Listen, people are breaking all sorts of rules. Well, exactly. Um, But yes, I've got to go for an eye test. But anyway, I can see uh, in the corner of my eye that Ian's about to get in. So, finally, uh, it's the out of context Mike Graham. I'm sitting in here on my own, believe it or not. You know, nobody wants to come in here with me. I don't say I can't blame them, you know. (laughs) I mean,. I think that was in the sense of uh, in a kind of isolation, wasn't it? So that I'm not spreading anything to anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, but it's it's funnier. 
without without it context. Is. It is funny. And also, context. you keep the aircon very cold in here. It is very it cold. It is very cold. I prefer so. it cold, though. I, I know. Like Next that. week, I'll just bring uh, like, a, like a blanket, like a fluffy throw or something. Yes, okay. I'll, I'll look that. forward to that. I'll do that then. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you. That's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.